Game of Thrones. Oh my god. There's dragons. You gotta watch it. You see them. There's this fight scene. There's hair. There's some guy really small. Winter's coming. Watch your What's his name? It's me. I cannot give you back your homes or restore your dead to life, but perhaps I can give you justice in the name of our Dracaris. Welcome to the Coffee Clatch Crew Game of Thrones episode review. I'm Jason Pistorino. I'm Christina Lomangino. The night is dark and full of terror, but we're here to shed some light on this week's final episode of Game of Thrones. That's season eight, episode six, The Iron Throne. Jason, we are here. The final episode of the season, the final episode of the series. I have to say, as the countdown timer was going, I just kept saying out loud, I can't believe this is it. I know. It was the second most stressful moment of the season for me. After the long night? Yeah, I I still, I'm never going to forget how I felt before that episode. Absolutely Like I was really going to war. Clatchers, just a little bit of background. The earth is on fire, apparently, because it's 87 degrees out right now. Two days ago, it was 45 degrees. So we just turned off the AC so it wouldn't... uh, so the sound wouldn't bleed into the mics, but we may need to put it back on by yeah, the end of this podcast. Add 10 degrees and another 100% humidity because we record up in the attic. But we're pushing forward. In this, our final episode was written by Benny Offenweiss and directed by Benny Offenweiss. IMDb is currently giving this a 4.7 and Rotten Tomatoes a 57%. The internet was ablaze with a lot of viewers just not happy with it, but I feel like they went into this episode knowing they weren't going to be happy. It looks like this is the lowest they've ever received. Yeah, definitely for this season, but possibly in the history of the show. But I think a lot of it is people are upset that it's over. Their life is changing. And of course, no ending could have pleased us all, but we're going to talk about the positives and the negatives as we always do. We're going to try to keep mainly focused to the finale here because next week we will have coverage of the HBO documentary, The Last Watch, where we'll talk about a lot of fun facts, behind the scenes, filming information. Also, HBO hasn't released any of their inside the episode stuff for the finale anyway. Yeah, it's crazy. HBO.com, GameOfThrones.com, they're not updated. And this is the day after the airing. But also the following week, we'll have our bonus wrap-up in which we'll think about the entire series more as a whole. We will go into some of the areas we wanted to discuss more, lore and prophecy, some of the Clatcher comments that are reflective of the whole series. And don't forget to follow us on the social medias because we will be asking you for your season MVB. I pulled out two of our critics' comments to reflect both sides of things. GQ said, Game of Thrones was at least wise enough to close with the implication that all of this is just one chapter in a much greater story, stretching endlessly in both directions. And that's truer to the spirit of the story than any ending could have been. Forbes said, The finale's flaws were mainly born out of all the rush. This could have been earned, but very little of it was. Parts of the episode were truly brilliant, others confusing. The lords and ladies of Westeros picked a new king in five minutes when we spent eight seasons fighting a bloody war over who would sit the throne. And the Iron Throne itself may indeed be melted, but we still have a king ruling over the small folk. While the lords and ladies laugh Samuel Tarly down at his suggestion of democracy. We can see that it all keeps spinning, the politics and the pettiness. But it was an actual ending, with character arcs tied up and the story coming to a close. 
It could never please everyone, but it did a decent job at trying. Still, many of us will always wonder, what if? Well, I think they reflect what we've been saying for sure. We don't mind the way it ended. Just to, just to be a broken record, this should have been two seasons worth. One full season of The Long Night and one full season leading up to this. It should have been two episodes at least that reflected this finale. I think Danny getting into power and the trials and tribulations going through to Bran being the king. I think that's worth two episodes. Yeah, and I was realizing this issue that I've been seeing all season long that finally made sense to me here. It felt like a lot of this was plotted to initially be two episodes. And then later they were kind of smash cut into one. For instance, we had the resolution of the long night. And in that same episode, the traveling and readying to go to King's Landing. The felt like in normal Game of Thrones world, those would have been two separate episodes. That was also very clear to me here in the finale. Everything leading up to John killing Danny and Drogon flying away with her felt like one episode, and I loved every minute of it. Me too. Then when we time jump to Tyrion in his cell and everything that follows felt like another episode, and that's where my disappointments came in. Yeah, I think it would have been really interesting to see how Sansa dealt with the information that your brother is now in a dungeon. He killed Daenerys. How did she react to that? I think that would have been a great insight into how the North is feeling at this point. Further, I think how Grey Worm and their army reacted when Jon walks down, and I'm assuming he just lets them know, because there's no body. So he just has to let them know, I killed He has to be queen. typical Jon Snow that he must not tell a lie. I think it would have made more sense to figure out what their reaction was because the beginning of this episode, we saw Grey Worm cutting the throats of people who followed Cersei. But then with Jon, they just throw him in a cell. Yeah, and then they're okay with allowing the leaders to choose a new ruler and having it be the ruler's decision what happens to John. There's so many things they have to abbreviate that we're going to discuss as we go through. I had some problems with character arcs being shortened up. Not all of those as major, uh, primarily brands. And other issues with how we depicted what does the world look like after. You've spent so much time building up and then breaking down the current world, the current wheel. It's going to be near impossible to show what a new wheel and a new world is going to look like in half an episode. And there I probably will have some nitpicking. So when we get to the second half of the episode, I'm sorry, but this is my final chance to talk about this. And I kind of anticipated the ripple effects of all the problems would crescendo in the finale. Parts of it did here for me, unfortunately. Let me start off with talking about the things that I liked. I do like the whole first half of the episode. We're going to talk more as we go into the plot. But seeing the aftermath of Danny's war and what has happened to all of the people, how they all respond to this, seeing Tyrion find his siblings and grieve over them, Tyrion and Jon trying to figure out what they're going to do now that they have to take a stand against this, all of that was done really well. By the end of the episode, I also like that there's clear endings for all of our characters. That there's wrap-up. Call it putting a bow on it, but I wanted answers, no matter what the answers were. I wasn't happy with all of them, but I'm glad it wasn't left ambiguous. I'm also glad that we returned to the Stark children. This is how we opened up the entire series. These are the people we're invested in, and we most want to see what's going to happen to them moving forward. It's okay if everything else is kind of up in the air. We have to figure it out. It is a brand new world. But show me John. Show me Arya. Where do they wind up? So all of that, in addition to everything that... Game of Thrones has been nailing this entire season, the visuals, the musical cues, all phenomenal here. You know, Chris, I, I learned a lot from you in the last podcast and your approach after episode three. 
And I took that into account when I sat down to watch this one. I said to myself, this is the series finale of a show I've loved for so many years now. I already understand what their shortcomings were this season. And I'm going to let go of that and just take this episode for what it is. And in those regards, I actually really did enjoy it. The little bit of a jump where it took me probably a minute of Tyrion walking in chains for me to realize, oh, some time has gone by. Yeah. Yeah. You know, along the same lines, it blends in with this type of season. Yeah. But as a series finale, I would have never been 100% happy because we love this story so much. No matter what they do, uh, I've talked with a lot of my coworkers. They all had different ideas of how it should have ended. And I'll, I'll discuss some of the great ideas later. But even then, I was like, yeah, but that's going to piss off these people. Oh, that's a good storyline. But I think other people are going to be mad that he survived or she survived. It's an impossible feat. And as a whole, I did enjoy this episode. As a lot of our Clatchers knew, I'd be happy with. Drogon's still alive. And you know, that's one thing oh, I was really panicked about. That had to be a highlight for you. <laughs> Coming back to what you just said, though, do you feel as though the writers maybe in a sense knew some of that and made many of the safe choices? To me, Game of Thrones, and particularly coming into this season, has always been hyper-controversial. Yeah. It's a story that breaks the mold of everything we've ever known before. Now, I'm not saying I want a horrible ending where everybody dies, subvert all of my expectations, but who gets to sit on the Iron Throne? Bran. Is that a choice? Because it's going to piss off the least amount of people. Did we keep it kind of like straight down the middle line? Because Benioff and Weiss knows this is going to be really hard to satisfy everybody. If, if we maybe tie it up in a nice little bow, we maintain our integrity and people years later talking about this show being a good thing. You might be right about that, but we've seen them make the controversial move this season and people didn't like it. And that's with Arya being the one to kill the Night King. That's exactly what I mean by predicting your finale. We've done so much of that. We can't end on that note or we won't go out with a positive rating, a positive feeling later when people look back on it. Maybe just go for it. If you're going for it, maybe just go all the way into the finale because I think some of the decisions here left me a little confused. It didn't seem the way we'd been heading. In the second half, again, I I think everything that happened in the first half, to me, while parts of it might have been too quick, completely add up. Amazing television. The visuals were fantastic. They really said, you know what, pour the money into that dragon because every time that dragon's on screen this season, people are going to love it. Yeah, and every shot of the first half being so dark and gray, the ash falling from the sky and blanketing everything. I know later it was snow. We'll talk about that. But in the beginning, everyone dressed in black, the Targaryen banners, I mean, really shifting into tyrannical regime and quite terrifying. So we'll continue discussing this. First, I want to go over a few fun facts. As always, honor our deaths, and then we'll go into our crow's eye view. We have to mention that before the episode started, obviously we had HBO on, I don't know, what, 15 minutes that we were watching it? They are just masters at putting up these incredible previews. Every single thing they were previewing, I wanted to watch, but particularly one called His Dark Materials. I was psyched for it, and I tweeted it right away. I was pleasantly surprised with the amount of Clatchers who have read the books. And I haven't. holy shit. So, yeah, we got to pick those books up. But among the many other actors, James McAvoy, who I am incredibly in love with. (laughs) We just reviewed uh, Glass. He was amazing in that. Yeah, Split as well. Then, we have to mention, we're already covering it as a podcast, 
Westworld. That looked very enticing. First of all, we have Aaron Paul, who we all know as Jesse Pinkman. Breaking Bad. And I really like him on screen. He's done some shite movies since then, but some other good things too. He's a good actor. The feeling of this feels completely different, doesn't it? The first 30 seconds, and it wasn't a long preview, I had no idea it was for Westworld. Mm -hmm. When things started to click and then finally the name came up on the screen, I was like, oh, I'm back in. Not that I was ever out on Westworld, but they had a lot of issues. Again, controversial coming out of season two. And it's a long wait until we get season three in 2020. This got me hyped again. And we always said we wanted to see what the world looked like out there. And we got it in that clip It's going to be fun. I can't wait. We're covering it, guys. So just check out Westworld on Coffee Clatch Crew. Actually, one of the few shows we started from the very beginning. So Mm -hmm. unlike Game of Thrones, we have full season one and two coverage. Speaking of CKC, here's a fun fact. This is our 240th episode of recording podcasts. And that's not including the, I think it's like 64 or 68 Patreon podcasts that we have. To me, it feels like it should be much more. I know. (laughs) But if you think about it, it's about 310 episodes. And let's say they're an hour and a half each. That's like 465 hours of us talking. That's crazy. And that's not including the amount of hours of us just recording before it's edited, which is like probably like three hours every night. That's the amount of hours we've talked into these mics. We need new mics. Each episode after editing probably averages an hour and a half. So that's pretty tremendous. I think we deserve uh, to sit on the throne for that. CKC for the microphone. We we still didn't put a poll up on that. Maybe to antagonize each other, that will be for the bonus. Does Jason or Christina win? You win. Now you're going to win. I've been too negative. Back to the fun facts. Did you know the original title for R.R. Martin's last book, of course, We Are Aware this is still working and who knows if they're going to come out or what they'll be titled. It sounds like now they are Winds of Winter and A Dream of Spring, but that final one was first supposed to be A Time for Wolves. Hmm. It's a little on the nose. Makes sense, though, with this final episode, how we see things winding up. Yeah, she's got her own kingdom. And I know we've talked about it in the past, but seeing John returning to the wall at the end, maybe being the Lord Commander, presumably, I have some ambiguity there that we'll discuss, but he would officially be both the 998th and the 1,000th Lord Commander. Yeah, I have some ideas about that as well. But my question is, how are we going to keep this podcast from not being four hours long? (laughs) I feel like I have so much to say. 998 minutes. Our deaths for this episode... In non-traditional Game of Thrones fashion, we only have one, but it's a big one. Daenerys Targaryen. Let's give her her official titles one more time. First of her name, the Unburnt. Queen of the Andals, the Roinar, and the First Men. Protector of the Realm. Queen of Marine, Khaleesi of the Great Grass Sea, Breaker of Chains, and Mother of Dragons. Doesn't she have a new one? Queen of Ashes or something? <laughs> no? I think that's unofficial. Breaker of Hearts. How about that one? Well, you're wrong there. We have two deaths. We also have the death of the throne, as we know it. Yeah, and we'll talk about that. Very interesting. So for the last time, and And now now her her watch watch has ended. ended. It's getting hot in here. Let's talk for a moment about the opening sequence. I was a little confused why we still have the tiles turning over. Some small part of me was holding on to that hope that we would get a final scene. And I'll discuss later in my fan fiction, but some kind of reference to... The Night King, the White Walkers still being around, and that's why the tiles remain blue. Yeah. Uh, Curious that that still be up there when they change everything to reflect 
Well, to be honest with you, I didn't think the opening title changed as much as I had presumed with what we read and the way they set it up where you'd see the insides of everything that gave them more of an opportunity to keep changing things. They did tweak it, but again, not as much change as I assumed. Yeah, they talked that up a lot. We, we did see some slight changes here for King's Landing, though. Some of those openings look broken the way they mm-hmm. did in the Winterfell Great Hall, that the gears aren't quite cranking right. Yeah. And you have some of that tower missing from the Red Keep, as well as the shot that zooms into the Iron Throne. The Lannister symbol is now gone from above. And now the Targaryen symbol is, is gone from above, too. Yeah. That lasted one day. Pretty quick. Sorry, Danny. With that, let's move into our crow's eye view. We open up in King's Landing to the aftermath of Danny's destruction. Tyrion walks through it all with a heavy heart. Seeing ash raining down, people lying dead, a man half-burned staggers by, rubble and small fires are everywhere on the ground. All is quiet as Davos and Jon follow behind. Until finally, Tyrion tells them he's going on alone. We presumed, and it was correct, in search of his siblings' bodies. Right away, how beautiful was that? The way they filmed that behind Tyrion with the short depth of field where he's in focus, but out of focus is this body that looks mangled, burnt, and then that slowly comes more and more into focus and you see everyone reacting and just looking at him. You're kind of in Tyrion's point of view. Yeah. Taking in all the tragedy. You felt it. And another scene where they kept quiet right up until he speaks those words and that makes the impact even greater. Once he leaves, John and Davos find Grey Worm having rounded up the remaining Lannister soldiers and sentencing them to death. They try to tell him it's over, they've won, but Grey Worm says he's just following his queen's commands to kill all the followers of Cersei. John pulls a sword to stop him, and the Unsullied all aim their spears. That was badass. But Davos breaks the tense moment by urging John they should go speak with Danny. And as they walk by, Grey Worm starts slitting their throats. Right away, I was thinking about our Clatchers who wrote in saying they think John would have to fight Grey Worm. They did have a showdown here. No swords were fought, but there's a lot of eyeballing. <laughs> <laughs> what are your thoughts on that? I, they're definitely pushing it into us that Danny is bad. Danny is bad. They're making sure we see it as clear as day so that at the final moment, we're on John's side. The men turning, like with anything else, I wish we'd gotten some more of Danny pushing those messages almost like brainwashing. This is the ideal she believes in, her destiny, that is kind of souring her. But it makes sense the way she's feeding it to her people. Like a lot of leaders that turn bad or were bad, they're still charismatic and they're able to speak and make these convincing arguments about why they have to do all the awful things they're doing. And they're able to rally their people, especially in this case where Danny's followers have all been oppressed and marginalized, saying that it's the fault of these terrible tyrants, the way it was in Marine with the slave masters, is a message I could see making sense to them. But it's just gotten so grandiose. Now she's going to take everything from the Summer Isles to the Jade Sea. It's like... It felt like the beginning of a dictatorship. Mm-hmm. It was scary. And they were setting us up for that. Again, back to that walk with Tyrion. You see the kids on the ground. You see this kid that we saw alive with the toy horse. Yeah, One of the soldiers just crying uh, over everything. Then inside the Red Keep, Tyrion searches the map room and the secret passageways into the piles of rubble until he sees a golden hand sticking out and begins pulling off the stones. Crying, he unearths the bodies of Jaime and Cersei, who died in each other's arms. The Reigns of Castamere plays in the background very slowly, and this shot of Jaime and Cersei just looking like they're part of the rubble. Yeah, it was very artsy. 
first of all, I thought Peter Dinklage did an amazing job mm. acting that part. But also, I was starting to panic because I was like, if our Clatchers were right and Jamie's alive, I'm going to freak out. Yeah. Because this is, it'd be unbelievable. Especially when you're seeing that. There's piles of rubble here. But even in this room, five feet to the right, it's totally clear. Yeah, like, I was like, no, they're setting it. it up. But I knew once the hand is sticking out and he's just slowly crying as he's throwing these rocks, like it's all so hopeless. Yeah. Here's the thing. He didn't know. Not for sure. I mean, 99% in his mind, but he has to know. He didn't see that happen from yeah. the inside. Of course. So we have to learn about it as Tyrion's learning about it, the impact to him. He had a lot of issues with his siblings, especially with Cersei, but this is the end of both of them. He is a Lannister alone in the world. This makes sense now. One of our Clatchers, Mark, wrote in before this episode to say, I thought you mentioned in the preseason that a lawsuit against Nikolai Coster-Waldau showed his whereabouts, that he had to be present for the filming of Game of Thrones all the way through episode six. I forgot we talked about that. I totally forgot that we did mention it. But as soon as he said that, I was like, well, what does that mean? Wait a second. Maybe we see a flashback. Maybe we see their dead bodies on the ground. He had to be present to film that, but he's not alive and well. And that just seemed the inevitable. We have to see Tyrion and Jon's reactions, how they're impacted by everything Danny did, what's pushing them finally over the line. Surprisingly, Tyrion was pushed by Danny burning the whole city. We thought they all would be. Jon is not 100%. No. He's still desperately clinging on, trying to defend her until a later scene. I was really shocked about this and yelling at mm-hmm. John, the character, throughout much of this part. He was in such denial, almost childlike denial. And I think it didn't land well with us because, and I've seen blogs saying this too, so it's not exactly only my words. The scenes with John and Danny, especially the latter half of the season, they haven't been really about love. It seems like John doesn't really love her anymore. So his reaction, his deep denial, didn't make as much sense to us, especially with the fact that I remember vividly the look on his face last episode as this was all going down and him realizing how messed up this was. He was already in shock about her killing Varys. Yeah. So I was saying to myself, really? He's not pushed over the edge yet? You hit the nail on the head, I think. This is supposed to be the greatest love story of this series of all time, When they originally pitched it to R.R. Martin, how to adapt this, they were envisioning a movie. And he said this world could never be summed up in a two-hour movie. Yeah. Only agreed to it when he found out it would be a lengthy TV adaptation by HBO. But the way they were positioning that was primarily as this love story and failed tragic ending between John and Danny. So to have that final culminating relationship that's so important not be able to blossom enough we didn't i mean they have like sex on a boat once (laughs) it's it's not enough to make us buy this desperation on both of their ends by the end of the season if this had been john and egret i 100 percent believe he believes in her he doesn't want to acknowledge all the bad things he's doing because he's so in love with her and he truly thinks she could be a good leader we bought that love and that relationship it's almost unfortunate now that we had that because i always compare his relationship with Danny to that, and it just doesn't quite stack up the chemistry. Moving back from a kiss twice this season already. I understand they were trying to do that to help with the leaning of Danny going mad, but to bring back what we said last episode in our full review, that didn't have to be there at that point. If Rhaegal died during that fight last episode in front of her, and that's what made her snap, 
And then this episode. And that was John's dragon. Right. So also putting some reluctance in him, he was emotionally impacted by seeing that. And then after seeing her freak out last episode, if this episode was the first time he pulls back from a kiss, it would all make more sense to me. And he's justifying it in his mind. Well, look at everything she went through. She just watched her, her one of her children die. If Cersei had a plot that maybe this wasn't all completely planned by Danny, she did go right for the Red Keep instead of the people. Yeah, and didn't mean to blow it. There's ways you could see John Put doubt still in being his brain. Yeah, in denial of that. Here, it's not quite as believable. But the acting continues to sell it, and we'll get into that in a minute. Especially Amelia Clark's acting, the you- way she portrayed everything this episode. Oh, for sure. But you kept yelling, get naked, John, get naked. I didn't know what you meant by that. (laughs) He's lying. I was yelling at him, make better decisions, John. (laughs) Oh, next outside, Arya sees the Dothraki riding and waving her axe and the rows of unsullied soldiers all standing in front of the stairway to the keep with the huge Targaryen banner draped. John ascends the stairs and behind Drogon flies by and roars. Danny walks out, dressed in all black, and Drogon's wings fan out behind her, making her look like a dragon. A dragon, a devil, something. It was scary. You woke the dragon. Yep. That was amazing. I was psyched for that. This, that is how I would sum up this season. Visually compelling. I don't think HBO can top themselves. Followed by this speech. Truly terrifying. So I'm going to go through the whole thing. You have to say it in Dothraki. <laughs> Hi, Valyrian. Danny calls to them, and Drogon lands on a broken tower. She starts in, blood of my blood, you kept your promises to me. You killed my enemies in their iron suits. You tore down their stone houses. You gave me the seven kingdoms. Torgo Nudo. I don't know if that's Valerian for Grey Worm's name or if she's actually using his real name or why she's doing that. Um, You have walked beside me since the Plaza of Pride, the bravest of my men and most loyal of my forces. I name you the Queen's Master of War. Unsullied, all of you were torn from your mother's arms and raised as slaves. Now you are liberators. You have freed the people of King's Landing from the grip of a tyrant. But the war is not over. We will not lay down our spears until we have liberated all the people of the world. From Winterfell to Dorne, from Lannisport to Carth, from the Summer Isles to the Jade Sea. Women, men, and children have suffered too long beneath the wheel. Will you break the wheel with me? And this is periodically interspersed with Drogon just screaming out at the right times. That's awesome. And the Unsullied stomping their spears the same way they did when they were rallying behind Danny the very first time. It was an epic moment. Watching Arya's, John's, and Tyrion's faces as they stare at her in this speech, you feel what they're thinking and you feel the same way. Holy shit, what is <laughs> happening? This is, this is awful. But I couldn't get over it. Right away, she wasn't happy now. Still wasn't good enough. Now we have to liberate the whole world. Well, this is exactly what Tyrion says later. If you really believed in that destiny, how many people wouldn't you kill to make it happen? Mm-hmm. How far wouldn't you go? And that's when John is like, oh man, yeah, this is never going to end. In my winning scene of the episode, Tyrion finally walks up to her. The most intimidating, scary picture you could imagine. All of these Unsullied and Dothraki arrayed before her, which by the way, this looks like a lot. <laughs> Still remaining, but okay. The dragon right there on the rooftop. Danny standing here, powerful, regal. And Tyrion just saying, it doesn't matter. If this risks my life, somebody has to do something. You freed your brother. You committed treason. I freed my brother. And 
you slaughtered his city. He takes off his hand pin and throws it away. He's got some brass on him, huh? Mm. In front of everybody. I was so proud of him. And I'm looking at John going, you ass. You see what he's doing right now? That's what you need to do. I thought he might stab her there. That would have been amazing. Yeah, it's scary, right? Because the stomping abruptly stops. And Danny just looks at him and then orders her soldiers to take him. I was a little shocked that she didn't have him just, executed right yeah. there. And as Danny retreats, John watches, saying nothing and allowing her to walk past. He stands looking troubled until Arya sneaks up beside him, explaining she came here to kill Cersei, but his queen got there first. He tries to persuade her Danny is everyone's queen now, but she says Danny knows who he really is, and thus he will always be a threat to her. She knows a killer when she sees one. I like this because the seeds are being planted all over the place, and finally by the people he cares about and respects most, Arya and Tyrion will tell him next, can't you see what needs to be done? Can't you see the truth of this? I was a little questioning what we were doing with Arya yet again. She seemed to be leaning toward the side of family. We talked about that last time, the abrupt change to her riding south with the hound. But okay, this makes sense. He finally talks her out of it. Now we have this shot of her being the person running through the streets. Looks like she's leaving by the end. Now she's back here with what purpose? To still fulfill vengeance? Is that what she's decided upon? But no, she just wants to warn John. Like it felt like Arya was kind of wherever we needed her to be now. Well, John actually did need her. She was the only one at that point with a straight head still. Yeah. He you know? had to hear that. She she was his anchor at that moment. I love his reaction when she sneaks up on him. He's like, Oh, jeez. He's continually surprised <laughs> by every everything she's learned, how far she's come. That means she went up those stairs without him noticing. Mm-hmm. That's a lot of stairs. And got behind him somehow. <laughs> Good for you, Arya. John goes to see Tyrion where he's being kept locked up. He muses this is a crude but fair sort of justice for watching Varys burn. When he wonders to John if there's any life after death, and John denies having experienced any, he thinks oblivion is the best he could hope for after all his crimes. Yet he chose his fate. The people of the city did not. John says he can't justify what happened, but the war is over now. Tyrion says this is obvious denial. Danny will go on liberating until the people of the world are free and she rules them all. Varys was right. It was vanity to think he could guide her. Jon is still arguing. You can see that he doesn't even really believe it, but he's telling him she's not her father. Defending her actions, the people she'd killed before. I thought Tyrion had pretty compelling reasoning for this. He says, yeah, those people were evil men, the slave masters. So no one complained. They cheered for her, but she grew more powerful and sure each time that she was right, believing in her destiny. I know you love her. I love her too. Not as successfully as you, but I believed in her with all my heart, and love is more powerful than reason. Look at my brother. This really gets John because he finally reiterates the long-ago words from Maester Aemon, love is the death of duty. And Tyrion adds, sometimes duty is the death of love. Did you just make that up? Where'd you come up with that, John? Since when did you get so smart? Tyrion carried that scene. His acting carried much of this episode, yeah. let's be honest. Dinklage is the man. Mm-hmm. I just Was that the first time we saw him cry on screen when I he was standing so. over his siblings' bodies? I think so. Yeah. Because it impacted me so much. I kept thinking, have I ever seen him do that? Mm-hmm. I love the fact that even in the face of death, Tyrion is still Tyrion. Did you bring any wine? No. All right. I find it fitting that I will become ashes and Varys' ashes will be there to say, I told you so. <laughs> but 
But yeah, we already talked about it. This is the moment where I was yelling at John, like, come on, dude. Yeah, Tyrion proceeds to say he thinks John has always been the shield that guards the realms of men. He's always tried to do the right thing no matter the cost. He knows it's a terrible thing he asks of John now, but it is the right thing. You think that's going to compel him because that always has been so important to him. Still, John says, he's sorry it came to this, but Danny is his queen. It's not until he turns to leave. The Tyrion stops him by asking, and what of his sisters? Do you see them bending the knee? My sisters will be loyal to the throne. Why do you think Sansa told me the truth about you? Because she doesn't want Danny to be queen. She doesn't get to choose. No, but you do. And you have to choose now. Yeah, that hit him. That was the moment where he realized that he's going to have to do something. He's going to have to make a decision and make it quick. Yeah, it's like even if you're okay sucking it up and not taking a stance and whatever your life's going to be moving forward, even the thousands of people that are going to be affected like this, it doesn't bring it home until he thinks about what about Arya and Sansa and Bran. This is one thing that had me a little bit confused. We were getting how Jon is the one. He's the perfect one. Now we get Tyrion realizing he's the perfect one. And I know I'm jumping here, but then once we get that scene where he walks up and there's the new council, he's like, okay, well, I know Grey Worm won't want Jon, so who's who's next? It wasn't really like that, but... Yeah, they were putting so much stock in the people know that Jon killed the queen so they can never get behind her. If we're talking about the people of King's Landing in the realm, they saw this tyrant who came in. Are there people of King's Landing? She just burned everyone to the ground. I don't think they're going to complain. If we're talking about the Unsullied and Dothraki, they still are a threat. And we need to appease them. They want justice. Justice is John's death. If they're going to worm their way out of that, and they do by eventually coming to this compromise of sending him to the wall that I still don't even think the Unsullied would have agreed to... That's the very best they can hope for, unless they risk retaliation. Certainly, they can't spin this around to John's going to be the next ruler and that contingent is okay with it. But they could have said, I I hate to be like this person, they could have said anything to them until they left and then done whatever they wanted, you know, if that's really the concern. If the concern is how the realm is going to take this, then the whole point is the story we weave to them, right? Wasn't that Tyrion's message in the end? Who has the best story? Yeah. You have a pretty convincing story to weave about John. The downfall now is a lot of that hinged on he's one of the last Targaryens. That's a bad thing in light of everything that's happened True. here. Perhaps we could have tried to keep that secret and play upon his starkness, but if we're doing that, you have a true-born 100% Stark in brand. So there's the problem with that. I see. Okay, we had to turn the AC on. Sorry, guys. Ooh, yeah, it's so loud. John walks through the keep's courtyard outside by what looks like a giant pile of snow until it rises up, revealing Drogon. So cool. He looks directly at John, but then turns to lie back down, letting him pass inside. There was a lot of questions about... He looks into John. That's what it felt like. Yeah, he's kind of surveying him. People were bringing up, Danny really had nobody guarding her in this moment she went in there. She did. She had Drogon standing guard outside. Yeah. Pretty much the only thing you ever need. And you have to believe this is a signifier for what happens next. He recognizes John as a Targaryen or as a good person. Who the heck knows? But he's not going to harm him. And that's critical. Well, remember, he, they rode together. He didn't ride on Drogon, but he rode Rhaegal. Danny walks into the throne room and sees the throne standing in front of the half-blown-out wall. This is the start of the realization of her premonition scene 
from the House of the Undying in Valar Mogolis. We do really want to break all of that down, including every scene that she got there, every vision. Did it come true? How was it realized? There's so much meat left to dissect, but we're going to save that for our bonus episode. Suffice it to say, the big portion here was that she walks into an empty throne room. There is some part of the tower behind destroyed. In the premonition. Yes. So we went back to take a look at that visual. In the vision she gets, you can see the throne front and center. It has the seven-pointed star behind it and just a little bit of destruction on the top of the roof. Obviously, what we get here is a lot bigger, but we have the ash and the snow, whatever it is, kind of blanketing the ground. And she walks forward and reaches out to touch the throne. So you get the parallel here to where she actually touches it, but in neither scene does she ever get to sit Sit it. Sit on it. Ugh. As she walks up to it, she gets this scary smile and a look of real wonder on her face. When she reaches out to it, that's when she turns to see John enter, and she tells him, When I was a girl, my brother told me it was made from the thousand swords of Aegon's fallen enemies. I imagined a mountain of swords too high to climb. If you go to the Song of Ice and Fire artwork, some of the things that have been developed about the Iron Throne from the books, it's pretty incredible. It's about... Six people in height, the throne? At least, if you look at the men standing beside it. And there is, presumably, Aegon sitting on top there. There's actually stairs that you have to walk to get up to it. It's crazy. It's huge. And now you can see why in the books they would say, a king who wasn't meant to sit here would never sit comfortably, would cut himself on all of the blades. It does look like a mountain of swords. Looks dangerous. But I can understand why the TV show didn't do that. It just... First of all, getting that in frame. It would be impossible. John interrupts her musing to say he saw men executing Lannister soldiers on her orders and wonders if she's actually been down to the streets and seen the children burned. I think this is a moment still of indecision for him. Yes. He wants to be able to talk her over to the side of good. He's giving it another try. He pretty much ends up pleading with her. She so breezily blames all of this on Cersei who is using the innocence as a weapon against her. John then begs her to forgive Tyrion, to choose to forgive them all. The new world needs to be one of mercy. You can forgive all of them. Make them see they made a mistake. Make them understand. Please, Danny. We can't hide behind small mercies. The world we need won't be built by men loyal to the world we have. The world we need is a world of mercy. It has to be. And it will be. not easy to see something that's never been before. A good world. How do you know? How do you know it'll be good? Because I know what is good. And so do you. I don't. You do. You do. You've always known. What about everyone else? people who think they know what's good. They don't get to choose. And I really think that's the moment. He realizes. That it, it clicked totally in his mind. She urges him to build the new world with her, to be with her. Choking through his words, he tells her, you are my queen now and always. He kisses her and then plunges his sword into her. That was a great scene because I briefly was like, oh, she won. 
at least at this point in the episode. And I was thinking in my head, in those few seconds, I was like, okay, maybe when Tyrion gets killed, that's mm. when he decides. <laughs> and then you see her face and she's like, oh. And I'm like, oh, shit. I could tell by the way he was almost crying when he kissed her. I thought this is a part where his parentage really could have been played up more in Danny's downfall. For the people who are wondering... Did she actually go mad last episode? Was this just a result of everything she'd been through and all the trauma? Absolutely, that was a part of it. But I think this made it totally clear for you from her speech that she's giving to her people where you could just see Amelia Clark breathing heavily. Like she's half excited, half crazed. This is her purpose. This scene when she's talking to John about the throne, her eyes are wide. She's excited about all of this. He's trying to tell her there's burned children in the streets. She's like, I know what's right. This is going to be great. And they could have really played on that more, her falling into the path that her brother Viserys had taken. It's not just to save everyone else. It's because she was destined to this. She's a Targaryen. She's dreamed about this from birth. She's so captivated. By that throne, it becomes what it's always been, this symbol of power that's going to corrupt anybody who reaches out to take it. And it's corrupted her. She's gone. But we do finally get our moment from John, the one we've been looking for for a while now. It's the hardest thing for him to do, but he kills her. And then he holds her dead body, crying over it. As Drogon roars outside... I started to panic. I was like, oh shit. You could hear the screams just getting louder and louder until he finally lands and peers in. He moves in and sniffs Danny's body, nudging her several times, heartbreaking. <laughs> as you see him just pushing her, testing. Come on, mom. Come on, wake up, mom. But when he realizes, he growls and then screams. He opens his mouth and you see the glowing red inside. Amazingly done. But at the last minute, he blows fire, not at John, but away from him, hitting the Iron Throne, melting it and reducing it to lava. There was a lot of question in my mind, because when I first watched this scene, I said, are dragons, like, preternaturally intelligent? Does he know this is the thing that's caused all of the destruction, caused the death of his mother? Is he purposely melting the throne? Upon second watch, I don't think so. I think he was so upset and so angry. He really wanted to kill John, but couldn't and just turned his head and sprayed fire everywhere else, and it happened to hit the Iron Throne. Yeah, I had a few co-workers talk to me about that, and they were pretty disappointed, saying, how is the smartest person in this show, or being, a dragon? And also, they were upset because they felt like the most feeling that they got from this episode was from the dragon. Well, yeah, that's true. And I, I agree with that, but I didn't mind that. I love my dragons, right? But, um... I don't know. I want to... I'm going to go opposite of you on this. And I want to believe that Drogon was cognizant enough to know what he's been doing with his mom, his queen. Knew what her goal was. And at that point, realized I lost my brothers. I lost my mother. It's all because of this. Yeah. You know, as a magical creature, I don't think I would mind him being that intelligent. And intuitive, maybe, is really the word. Animals are intuitive. It's the fact that watching the scene over, it's like when you want to hit somebody and at the last minute you restrain yourself and you punch the wall. When he first turns, he's blowing fire almost at nothing, at the side of the wall, at the empty space, and then he starts like moving his head left and right, and that's okay. when it starts spraying the throne. Just like he has all of this emotion to release. 
Oh, and the whining. Oh, crying and amazing. spraying it in fire. He's upset about his mother, and yet, for whatever reason that we just mentioned about John, he can't kill him. Again, with this conversation I had with my friends, I was thinking the same thing during this. I thought he would breathe fire into John. Mm, and John would survive. And he would survive. He wouldn't burn. And that would make Drogon realize that he needs to follow or that he should follow John now. But there's also one thing to remember that just because you're a Targaryen doesn't mean that you can't burn. There's only the dragon riders, the special Targaryens that can ride a dragon and that won't burn. Well, and they have made implicit that Danny was special in those abilities too. It's not a complete Targaryen thing. It was a Danny thing that she couldn't burn. But speaking of dragon riders, I had wondered, yeah, you could be accepted by the dragons. They're not going to kill you. But you had no ownership and couldn't ride another dragon except your own. And John's connection was with Rhaegal. Right. But then I thought, well, what happens, though, when the initial owner is dead and every other Targaryen is dead? If John is the last one, does Drogon kind of know that and become his now? But this is a world where, in that scenario, John rules because of his parentage, being a Targaryen that everybody hates right now. And with a dragon that he's proven is the absolute wrong way to rule. None of that figures into the right story for Don later. So if we want to see Drogon live, this is the only way we get that. He's fed up. He's lost his mother. The only thing for him to do is to take her body and fly home, wherever that is. And we don't know. It could be Dragonstone. They said to the east, it makes us think of Valyria, where we first saw dragons flying over the sky. Tyrion and Jorah were in their boat. And I think it's okay to just leave it like that. Oh, yeah. I didn't mind the way it ended. Absolutely. I think it was for the best. I think Drogon now is safer than ever. <laughs> it's also interesting to think that this throne was forged with dragon fire. That's how they built it in the first place, by another Aegon, the Conqueror, 300 years ago. And so the thing that finally takes it down is dragon fire. That's kind of the end of Act 1. Act 2 opens up weeks later. Tyrion lies on the floor. Time has obviously passed, his beard having grown, until Grey Worm comes and brings him in chains to the dragon pit. They sat on his face for a while there. I think to show you that time was passing and yeah. they're closing in on that beard. Assembled at the dragon pit is a group of, at first look, an unlikely assembly. But then we're told these are the remaining great lords, as they're calling them, the representatives of the former great houses and areas of Westeros. So you have Sansa and Bran, in addition to Brienne for the north. Edmure Tully, talking hmm. about that in a second, for the Riverlands. Robin Aaron, who has grown since we last yes, saw him. <laughs> and Jan Royce for the Vale. Yara for the Iron Islands. This new Prince of Dorne, who we don't know but can tell him by his garb. And Gendry for the Stormlands, as well as Davos, who doesn't know if he's really supposed to be there or get a vote at all. It was very evident pretty much right away who was controlling that group. Sansa. She spoke the most. She had the most presence there. Half these people you said, we only heard them talk once, and that was for them to say, I. I wonder how it was assembled in the first place. You know, it sounds like they all initially were coming to try to talk about John's execution, but somebody had to say, well, we need representatives from each house because clearly important decisions have to be made here. This is the real first gathering of, Post -war. of an oligarchy. I don't know what you want to call it, but a ruling council. 
I kind of like, while there was a lot of things in this episode that I thought were maybe too meta, the writers speaking directly to us, we know what you've been wanting or talking about, we'll nod to it, we'll rebut it through our words, Hmm. but I do like Sam bringing up the idea of an actual democracy and having everyone laugh at him. Because we have talked about this, but we didn't mean a democracy the way we think of it. In this world, there's no way you can shift directly from the way they've been running things to that. Of course. This is how they'll respond. Are you kidding me? (laughs) There has to be some kind of smaller step, and this is a step for them. I appreciate that in some ways the wheel does keep turning. They didn't break it, but they're reinventing it. They're redesigning it. There's more independence, say for the people, if you want to call it that, with the process they're figuring out. They start off with difficulty. They're arguing about what to do with their prisoner, John their other prisoner. Yara is still defending Danny. You know, this is why they came here. And you kind of assume that Dorn would say the same thing. They were fully intent upon supporting her and they weren't here to see all of these other things go down. But in true Arya fashion, she says if they kill John, well, she's just going to kill them. I like the way she said it too. The big problem is the Unsullied want to see justice being served through John's death. Davos breaks in to try to offer Grey Worm peace, land in the reach and repayment of their debt, they can settle there. But they're not seeking payment, they just want justice. Finally, Tyrion speaks to say it's not for Grey Worm to decide any of this. That power lies with the queen or the king. And I like the way he presented that because obviously he wasn't supposed to speak. He's a prisoner at that point, but he just can't stop himself. It's not your place. And I don't mind it there. I was a little surprised they let him continue on to make some of the most important decisions of the realm. This man that's supposed to be executed, then a prisoner. Grey Worm has no tolerance for him anymore. And then he says the most powerful people in Westeros are assembled here. They should just choose one. And Grey Worm's okay with that? Do what you gotta do? Pick your king, have them decide? I was a little lost with that. I don't understand the Grey Worm background, how they're really feeling, what's going on. Again, because it was skipped over. What did they want? They were so bloodthirsty, battle-hungry, geared up by Danny's destiny and everything she was telling them. Now she's gone. They have no idea what to do with themselves. They have to be so pissed at the only two people they can pin it on, Tyrion and Jon. And as this conversation goes along, not only is the wheel not going to be broken here, which, okay, they probably don't care about anymore. This isn't their home or their country. Do what you want with it. Mm -hmm. Have a king, have a council, have whatever the hell you want to do. We just want to see that debt paid these two need to die or to suffer for what happened for killing our queen and they just seem so quick to back off of that and maybe it's because it's not their world anymore and they just that's it just do whatever you want to do we want to leave well we didn't get to see it but i think the threat of all of the north is outside and we could go we could fight right now in addition to any remaining bannermen for all of these other areas of the kingdom that, yes, were reduced by the Battle of the Five Kings, but they weren't involved in the battle with the dead or what happened here in King's Landing. They still probably have some fresh fighting forces that all put together would greatly outnumber. Yeah, and the dragon's not there anymore. Yeah. And at that point, Grey Worm's probably thinking, what are we fighting for? Exactly. So he relents, ordering them to just make their decision. And first, Edmure stands to give his speech acknowledging this is the most important moment of their lives. And as one of the senior lords, we don't really know what he's going to say here, if he's going to propose himself as the new king or just try to be pompous. But either way, Sansa shuts him down quickly, telling him, uncle, just sit. (laughs) 
Power move. Poor Edmure. He's kind of been played off as a joke this entire series. I guess this puts an answer to the Blackfish didn't survive. Otherwise, you'd have to think you would see him here. This is when Sam wonders about a democracy. What about the people having a say? But he's shot down. And they all look once more to Tyrion, perhaps thinking he will make a claim. But he denies this, saying he's proven that he is the worst choice. He's had nothing to do these past few weeks but to think about their bloody history the mistakes they've made, the conclusion he's come to, what unites people is not armies, gold, or flags. It is stories. He says there's nothing more powerful in the world than a good story. Nothing can stop it. No enemy can defeat it. And who has a better story than Bran the Broken, the boy who fell from a high tower and lived? He knew he'd never walk again, so he learned to fly. He crossed beyond the wall, a crippled boy, and became the three-eyed raven. He is our memory, the keeper of all our stories. The wars, the weddings, the births, the massacres, our triumphs and our defeats, our past. Who better to lead us into the future? This way lays problems. <laughs> okay. The books did begin with Bran. They opened up so fully on his point of view. The very first thing we saw were the White Walkers. So in my mind, that was always going to be the most important thing. All right, I gave that up with episode three. I won't go back to that. But the next thing after that was Bran. The introduction to riding out with his father to see a man executed for deserting the Night's Watch, the first that he'd ever witnessed. A step towards him becoming a man and understanding Stark traditions. The man who passes the sentence swings the sword. John offering him comfort and establishing their relationship together. John as his older brother. Finding the direwolves that meant so much to them. And then getting a little look at what Bran the boy is like. They come back and he is climbing towers against their wishes, scrambling all over Winterfell. You care about him a lot, probably a lot more than on the show. The first couple of seasons, Bran is pretty important. But by the time he becomes the Three-Eyed Raven and lives through the attack at the Heart Tree and Hodor dies... He's very disconnected. It's really hard to tap into. And perhaps his story is very sidelined from that point on. We don't really see Bran becoming the Raven or what his powers can do. He's kind of on another planet. He's otherworldly. You can't emotionally tie into that. And so I don't think the show did as good of a job making me feel okay about this. Plus, it makes sense that Tyrion knows all of this. We knew we were going to come back to the story Bran told him that we didn't get to see at the Battle of Winterfell. Does anybody else know that? (laughs) Or to them, to the people, are they just proposing this boy who's only nearly turned into a man, who acts a little bit strangely, and I don't know, his primary claim lays on the fact that he's a Stark, and we respect the Starks, he's the rightful heir to Winterfell, and he doesn't want the throne? Uh, I'd like to think that, especially in that council, they're aware of what Bran has been up to. and Perhaps. I mean, Tyrion just summed it up sounding like they know. We didn't see that. But the big point that he's offering is the people need to get behind him, and they will because of the story they tell them. I see. Are, are they going to tell them that story? Because, yeah, maybe then I buy into that. But there's so many questions. Like, after he finishes this, Sansa reminds Tyrion that Bran can't have children. And Tyrion thinks this is a good thing. The wheel the queen wanted to break was partially how they had done things in the past. And a big problem with that is just passing on inheritance to children. Children that can sometimes be monsters like Joffrey. Yeah. 
because you have a name, does that really mean you should be the next king? So this is a good thing. After Bran, the rulers will come back here, all of these people, to this chosen spot to elect the next ruler. That's how it's going to work into the future in service of the realm. Did did they forget that the three-eyed raven lives for thousands of years? (laughs) Oh, I, I forgot. Um... Blood Raven told us that he had been around maybe not thousands, okay, uh, hundreds, I'm not sure exactly, way longer than the lifespan of an average human. Nobody that's here at this council will be there to elect the next ruler. Bran is like de facto ruler for a long time. Yeah, I didn't even think about that. I was more thinking about the fact that although it sounds really good and I was all for it, and I still am, it's better than just these kids because they have a name. But every time this comes up where it's time to vote for a new king, well, we're getting deep into politics again. And that means all of these people who want to be king next are going to be playing some political games and maybe killing people so that, you know, Christina might have... I think Christina's going to get voted more than me, so maybe I should have her killed. And it might start wars anyways. And that already happened amidst families if you had the bloodline. Now anybody could be a potential candidate. So yeah, that's going to continue. And like we said, I think it makes sense that you can't change things overnight. This is a small move. It includes some of the way we've done things in the past with changes, trying to have this be more of a meritocracy. You become king because you should and the people elect you. But I I wonder what grounds they really think Bran is going to be a good leader. His memory of knowing everything that's happened in the past and trying to prevent history from repeating itself is really sound. That's a great thing for a ruler to have. But it also causes him to sometimes not care about the present. He told Mm. Tyrion that last episode, I live mostly in the past now. I mean, people have been joking about it, but I kind of agree is his answer to everything gonna be it's because that was meant to happen Mm -hmm. Uh, kind of a tough look on a ruler listen i love bran and i do think there's things that really support him being a ruler i just wonder if there's enough here to make me okay with that choice and if there is a good enough story that the people are okay with that choice and i don't know it kind of continues from this point out to make me question things We had wondered if Bran could actually see the future. There was a lot of questioning. Yes, he can see the past. Surely he can see the present. This confirms that, as he says when offered the crown, well, why do you think I came down here? So does that mean this whole time he knew he'd become king? I guess so. It's odd. And we have a Clatcher's comment about that. I can't wait to get to it. When put to a vote, Tyrion's affirmative is followed by Sam, Edmure, and then all the rest until they arrive at the last person. Sansa says she supports her brother and knows he will be a good king, but the North will remain an independent kingdom as it was for thousands of years. And after a moment, Bran agrees. Tyrion proclaims him King of the Six Kingdoms. <laughs> that was easy. Nepotism I, right away, huh? I hesitate. I know I'm going to get slammed to say anything bad about Sansa, but I feel like the climate running around right now is you're not allowed to say anything bad about Sansa. And so we're just going to overlook any of the obvious problems. If we're talking about problems, I have to mention it. She's objecting, even though it's a Stark that's going to be on the throne. A person of the North who gets it better than anybody is ruling the kingdoms. And the original reasons why they were protesting this 
people didn't understand the North, their ways and the things that were important up there. We saw that from season one when Robert rode up to see Ned and he's like, I don't get this cold (laughs) wasteland you're running. And Ned is like, well, you kind of have to be of the North to understand that. A huge chunk of what made that so important was understanding the North was also mainly important because of what they knew. These things that could be a threat to the realm and all of humanity, the wall was built for a reason, the Night's Watch is important. There are things beyond the wall that could threaten us all. Winterfell is part of what maintains those customs and keeps everybody safe. Hundreds of years after the first night, people in King's Landing and the Kings and even the Maesters in the Citadel were ready to deny the existence of White Walkers. They weren't going to get behind the North to support them. They kept trying. The Wall kept sending representatives down saying, there's white walkers, please Hmm. come help us. And nobody listened. But the North remembered. Those are their words. That's why they needed to rule themselves. Because even when everyone else forgot, they wouldn't. That's not a thing anymore. So to me, basically, this looks like I want to be queen of something. Ooh, you are going to get hate. And I'm going (laughs) to be queen in the North. What have they given me for Sansa's motivation other than that right now? Well, her motivation is what she went through in King's Landing as a captive, an open captive. But I think she went through a lot there. What her family went through for the Seven Kingdoms, all that she's lost. I believe that she feels... So they don't know how to rule properly, including my brother. No, I think... um, I'm just making this up now. I think she just believes that we need to look after ourselves. We need to be held accountable only for ourselves because we can't hold anyone else accountable for us. If there's a strong reason why she's doing that, such as the imminent threat of evil, I'm 1,000% on board with Sansa. If it's the Iron Throne and this rulership of the kingdoms, they don't know best. Yeah, I saw the corruption there with Cersei and her children I had to live through that firsthand. We're never going to be subject to that kind of control again. But they're talking about reinventing the world and all getting in on this idea that's brand new, that's going to take support and it's not going to be easy. But your brother, a Stark of the North, is going to be at the helm of all of that. And you're still saying, I can't support that. This is problems. The North should rule itself. I definitely get what you're saying, but let me give you a different angle. Mm Mm-hmm. She's not being selfish, and she's not thinking about the fact that it's my brother's. It'd be good to be a part of this. I think she's thinking about future generations when it's no longer her brother. She can protect her kingdom now, have that decision made where they're on their own, not of the seven kingdoms. Mm -hmm. They'll never have to bow again. Exactly. So the future is... And I could see that. I, you know, I'm not trying to rag on in-world Sansa. I think the writers did her a disservice because I'm not connected to why she's doing anything she's doing right now. Especially this year, yeah. And if seeing everything that Jon went through and the people are following him and he's king in the north, if this is a completely unselfish decision, I then say Jon should come back and help rule the north the way he was supposed to. Yeah. Where she's kind of just like, I don't want my brother to die, but, you know, (laughs) whatever happens, happens. I can't really affect that. Uh, She doesn't seem to be in support of the rest of her family. When the last episode, her and Arya were talking about this Family. being the most important thing yeah. ever, and now it just feels like something else. I'm, maybe, I'm having a hard time latching onto it. Maybe she's picturing the whole North as her family. It could be. I, I, if that's the case, needed them to spend more time with this. I really like the last part of this meeting, where Bran gets elected, and the first thing he does 
is to say he's naming Tyrion his hand. Of course, there's protests from Tyrion and Grey Worm, but Bran says Tyrion has made many mistakes, and he will spend the rest of his life fixing them. Well, I like his comeback. Tyrion says, I don't want to be. And he says, well, I don't want to be king. Mm-hmm. You pushed me to this? Guess what? Uh, he recognizes that Tyrion is very intelligent. He belongs in this ruling system. For sure. He's fought hard for all of these beliefs. He's made mistakes, but what good does it do to kill him? Keep him around to try to have him fix it. And he just came up with this whole new idea of a new world. Everything Danny said she wanted to do, he's actually breaking the wheel. So let's let him be a part of that. And we've said from the very beginning, all of the best rulers knew that they needed strong advisors, strong counsel. That's what made them who they were. And I think a good sign to Bran's leadership is that's the first thing he recognizes. Next, Tyrion goes to see Jon in his cell, informing him their new king has chosen to let him live and send him to the Night's Watch. The realm will always need a home for bastards and broken men. No one is very happy with this decision, which probably means they found a good compromise. Jon emotionally asks him if what he did was right. Tyrion thinks what they did. And, well, ask him again in ten years. Jon believes they'll never see each other again, but Tyrion says not to be so sure. We'll talk about this in a minute. I do like the idea of keeping the Night's Watch, even if there's not an ultimate force. I'm going to keep going back like a broken record to the same opinion that if there is still some idea of an ongoing threat, a lot of these final things make a ton more sense. If you do still need a purpose for those men, part of the wonder that was the Night's Watch is you take these men that are broken, that have committed crimes that are terrible, but they get a second chance to redeem themselves. Instead of just being killed, they work in service to the realm. If you're sending them now to work at the wall for what reason that has no purpose that they don't care about, even when there was still a distinct threat, but it was so many hundreds of years removed, the Night's yeah. Watch fell in the way it ran and the type of people and the way they served it. Now, there's going to be absolutely no incentive for them to change or to try to be better. But I, I do think it's a good idea, and having John have that purpose could be a good point to the end of his story. I'm not sh quite sure how that wraps up later, but we'll talk about that in a minute. In the bay, the Unsullied are aboard the ships, and Grey Worm commands them to ready for the Isle of Noth. So we see that's going to be his final destination, where Masande always wanted to go back to. John walks out to say his goodbyes to his siblings. Sansa asks John if he can forgive her, and he thinks the North is free thanks to her. Ned Stark's daughter speaking for them is the best they could have asked for. He then tells Arya to visit him at Castle Black but she says she isn't going back north. What's west of Westeros, she wonders. No one knows. It's where all the maps stop. That's where I'm going. And we've heard her say that before. That was a thing much earlier on in our seasons. Definitely a quote from the book as well. It was the adventurer spirit in Arya, the I want to be a knight thing from when she was a child, that when she's no longer an assassin trained killer, She's never going to be the Lady of Winterfell. What did Arya Stark want in life? And it makes sense. That's what she wanted, an adventure. Jon smiles, and she assures him she still has Needle with her. Finally, Jon bends the knee to Bran, apologizing he wasn't there when Bran needed him. But Bran, of course, says, you were exactly where you were supposed to be. Jon smiles and walks away. So we get this kind of scene that all of the Stark lovers needed to have, you know, the emotional wrap up the goodbyes between the siblings here. 
um, we're all going to find what our purpose really was, what we were meant to do, what we wanted to do, and we finally have that opportunity. Questionably, John too, but he's leaving them in a better place, and I think he can feel okay with that. Kind of like the first time that he left for the wall, but he never got the closure on any of that, particularly with Bran, and I think that's a lot of what these words have to reflect on here. You were reminding me that uh, way back when, when he went north, he wanted to stay a little longer until Bran woke up from his coma. Mm. I remember that bed scene. He was so worried about him. But Catelyn forced him to leave. She essentially kicked him out. Yeah. And he worried for so long after that. This was a big part of why he couldn't let go of family the way he was supposed to, to be part of the Night's Watch. Yeah. And he would think about that a lot, think about Arya a lot while he was up there. And, you know, finally, one of these days when Winterfell is under siege and he hears about Ramsay Bolton, that's when he's going to decide to break with his vows. And Maester Eamon is telling him, love is the death of duty. You can't (laughs) do this. So I like that it all does come back around full circle. And then we get another scene that I really like. In the White Sword Tower, Brienne pages through the White Book. She finds Jamie's page, the short entry ending with, quote, After Joffrey's death, he served Tommen. And she finishes the entry. She writes about all the things that he's done in a way that marks on their accomplishments and says none of the questionable. You know, the oath that he made to Lady Catelyn to protect the Stark girls, losing his hand, freeing River Run without loss of life, fighting at the Battle of the Gold Road bravely, pledging his forces to ride north to Winterfell, facing the army of the dead, and finally escaping imprisonment and riding south in an attempt to save the capital from destruction. And the final words, died protecting his queen. I think it was very sweet of her. She loves him and uh, she felt he deserved to finally get the good in him written about. But it does go to show how history can be rewritten Mm. by the powerful ones. But I don't think she's wrong. He spent his whole life saying, I have this reputation, maybe unfairly, for something that I did from a good place to protect the kingdom. I've only ever been known as this horrible kingslayer. And even my good deeds, coming back to save her and losing hand, they're not going to be remembered. She ensures that they are. There is more about the White Book, but we're going to talk about that in a few moments for our closer look. We have just two more scenes. The first, the new small council. Tyrion walks into the council chambers and looks at the hand's chair. Awkwardly, sitting at the empty table, he then straightens all the chairs and hastily returns at the sound of others approaching. Bronn, Davos, and Sam. This scene was really fun. I liked how playful it was. And it really was our only look into the future of the realm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you have Sam, now dressed in maester's robes, who's going to be the new grand maester. On the small council, that's head advisor of matters of lore and wisdom, fittingly. He hands Tyrion a book titled A Song of Ice and Fire that he helped come up with the name (laughs) for. Thank you very much. It was written by Archmaester Ebros to chronicle the history of the wars following the death of King Robert. So, again, how people will remember how his history being recorded. And unfortunately, Sam reluctantly admits Tyrion isn't even mentioned. So I wonder why. Because he's a Lannister? Well, I think just like you said, it's kind of up to the person writing the book what he chooses to say is important. That's rude. Tyrion is always left out of that equation. He was saying that from the beginning. He helped tremendously in the Battle of Blackwater. No one... No one ever recognized him. true. (laughs) Poor Tyrion. So you get a play on that thing that we thought would happen. The end is going to show Sam writing a song of ice and fire without it being so straightforward. 
a lot of people are upset with that, believe it or not. They felt like it was too much Lord of the Rings. I thought the show did a good job of giving us what we wanted, but also kind of laughing at us while doing it. The nod. Like I said, everything was, there's a lot of meta in this episode, whether you like that or not. Uh, Bronn tries to restrain his laughter at Tyrion's outrage over this. But then Bran enters, escorted by Brienne, who is now new Lord Commander of the Kingsguard. And Podrick, also a member, both dressed in gold armor. Bran notes they are missing three positions. Master of Whispers, Master of Laws, and Master of War. Kind of interesting that three things they're avoiding right now in trying to change the new world. You know, Master of Laws, that is going to be important, but they need to figure out how is this going to work and who is the person that's going to best uphold that. So they say they're going to bring Bran suitable candidates sometime soon. When they inform Bran that Drogon was last spotted flying east, whereabouts unknown, he thinks perhaps he can find him. More nods to Warging? I don't know. That pissed me off. I was like, Bran, you can't say that shit now. We needed you (laughs) before. This is what I mean about the writers being meta. Like, some of it just is not good. Yeah. (laughs) I was upset that Bronn interrupted Sam when he was saying where the dragon was. But I'm assuming he flew back to their main home, their original home. Valyria. Yeah. Yeah, I agree with you on that. And I think as long as he remains there... That's a good place for him to be, and that's kind of what Bran meant. Just going to keep an eye and make sure he stays there type of thing. I don't know. I don't like Bronn in any of this. He's ruining this whole scene for me. Me too. He got a little much, right? Uh, He's allowed to maintain all of his titles. They're actually going forth and giving him Highgarden, which gives him a shit ton of power in that alone. Also makes him Lord Paramount of the Reach, which is like one of those ruling people of an area. He gets to be that for a major section of Westeros. Plus, he's master of coin. It's a little much. You have just elevated him to one of the most powerful men in a kingdom. A cutthroat who was ready to kill the two Lannister brothers last episode. Doesn't really seem to have loyalty to anything or care about this new world we want to build at all. He's down to the very end making jokes about restarting the brothels. It just undercuts everything you're trying to do here. You don't need brothel jokes in this moment. Minor fix, it was two episodes ago. Just a classroom okay. email. They'll <laughs> yes. be like, it okay. was two episodes. <laughs> you um, right. I agree with you. I think they were trying to fade to black with this, with some humor, and they were fully dependent on Braun for that. Um, Misses the mark. A little bit, because it, it made me start to think, ooh, that was a bad choice. Rather than Braun being there because he earned it, but he doesn't have too much power. Like, I think that would be better. And than he was actually keep... a good man all along who cared about more than just getting his gold and what was his and yeah. prostitutes. And, you know, everybody can get a shot in this new world. There's a way to do that right. It's supposed to be incredibly meaningful. And if intentional, okay, maybe we haven't changed so much. And then, I mean, I guess if that's your message, but I'm not really getting that that's your message. Well, he also interrupted them a few times, not just that one time with Bran. And I think that says a lot. He won't listen to them. He's mm-hmm. not going to. And he's already pushing his muscle. Like, I'll get to the money when I... When I know. get to it. Yeah. Well, you have Davos, who is a good representation of a man who started out small, worked his way up his whole life, and because people were willing to give him a chance, is here at one of the most important moments, still humbled at oh, that yeah. meeting, saying, I don't even know if I deserve a vote, but I say I. Yeah. And now he's here, master of ships, so fitting for Davos and he's concerned with real things and so it's it's weird to juxtapose that 
together. And then you end the scene with Tyrion making his quintessential brothel joke. Like, <sighs> okay. <laughs> well, the problem is Bronn's in charge of money and food. That's two of the most important things. <laughs> yeah. That power should be split. Astoundingly so. That's our last scene in King's Landing. Then we go to in the north where the horn blows once and John rides up to the wall. As the gates open, he sees Tormund standing atop the walkways of Castle Black. I was waiting for a joke or a smile from Tormund, but no, he was serious there. I liked that. You did? Yeah, they had so much of that with Tormund earlier. But this shows that the bond they forged is real. Okay. And he meant it when he told John, you and Ghost, you're of the north. This is where you belong. Think back to the days when he pretended to be a wildling. And Tormund's like, are you really pretending or are you one of us? Because I feel like this is where you're supposed to be, man. And they are now interspersing these final shots of John, Arya, and Sansa. So we'll talk Sansa first. She dresses in a new gray outfit with red leaves, looking like a heart tree. I love that. It's beautiful. Perfect symbology. She walks down the Winterfell corridors to the Great Hall, where the Northerners are assembled. Sitting at their head, she is crowned, and the men all salute her, cheering to the Queen in the North. A good way to close it out? Yeah. I felt like there could have been a ton of great emotional endings and symbology to her mother, Catelyn, to her father, Ned, to her dreams for the way the North was going to be in the future that she believed in, kind of the things that you were mentioning. Perhaps the dress was trying to encapsulate that putting a lot of weight on a dress there, man. (laughs) Costume designers really feeling the pressure. I do like that visually. Visually, I love the Arya scene that comes next. She unrolls a map of the world, sheaths needle and her Valyrian dagger, she still has, and walks up to the deck of her ship where the prow and the sails are adorned with the direwolf. So cool. Awesome. She stands at the head and stares out at the sea, smiling. So she's not going alone. She has a little bit of an army with her or a crew. She's crewed her own ship. That's amazing. Yeah. um, And I like that this reflects back to when she left the first time, running so desperately to the only place she could think of on a whim, the coin that she was given. Yes, that's right. Go find the House of Black and White. She's standing at the prow of that ship. Fate so uncertain, but knowing this is something she has to do, there's there's a great play off of that. But here she's finally made peace with where she's going. I think it would have been great to see her land in this new place. And as she walks out, there's Jack and but smiling. It's all cool between them. Like you finally made it. Well, people are jokingly saying that's the first spinoff series, The Adventures of Arya. That would be cool. But I'm they're down all, for it. I am too. But <laughs> they're all going pre, aren't they? Yeah. Yeah. All pre's. And finally, we have John, who sheathes Longclaw and walks out to the front of the crowd of wildlings. They go through the gates to the north, and they see them shut behind them. Uh, Oh, you know what you forgot to mention? And I can't believe you. And I'm so mad at you right now. We finally got the John and Ghost. Those are my next words. They're a little out of sequence. Oh, okay. He meets with Ghost, now missing most of one ear. They finally embrace. They finally embrace. He affectionately pats him. Ghost lovingly licks his face. Everything we were waiting for, the two of them together, of the north once more. It was beautiful. It was great. On this walk out, he stops for a moment, looks back, and then smiles. To me, I believe that was the moment where he realized, I'm not just going to escort them up north. I'm going to be one of them. I'm going to be one of them. I think so, too, because at first I thought they were trying to say they're going on a ranging. John is leading a ranging. That's what he does. And he's going to take them, escort them. 
Tormund and the rest of his wildlings to where they're going and then come back. But he looks at the gate closing behind him. Yeah. So final. Nobody's there at Castle Black. And then he looks down and the first hope of a new spring is there, a plant growing up through the snow. And he looks out in front of him and it's the wildlings, his people, men, children running around and they all walk off into the woods. It feels like that's the end for Dawn. And I don't mind that. Actually, I really enjoy that. He's finally free of his burden. He can now be a free man, legit free man. It's just weird that he accepted the Night's Watch thing as his punishment. And this is where he was going to redeem himself. No, I don't think he should have to be bound to that forever. But like the minute he gets there, he's like, Matt. Well, I think... Nobody's here. I'm going <laughs> to... There was probably a conversation we'll go with, with Tormund. <laughs> I think he finally realized he, he's gone through enough punishment. I agree. And I do think this is ultimately where he belongs, where yeah. he can find peace and happiness. It's just like everything else. It's the way we got to it. But I don't mind it. I like it as a final scene. Like I say, where we got to with all these siblings in the end, I appreciate that. And I appreciate having the decision and them all getting a shot at a new life that they always deserved. You even have these echoes of Mance Raider that I thought were so fitting. You know, he was a man of the Seven Kingdoms, then a Lord Commander of the Night's Watch. And he said, this is all corrupt bullshit. (laughs) And went north of the wall to be free. Yeah. Um, as the leader with the wildlings at his side. And now that's John. And you also, in these closing scenes, get this beautiful remix of the Stark theme paired with the Game of Thrones theme. Yeah. As a new song. It's pretty amazing. I believe no ending would have been good enough for any of us. But this ending did enough for me. Well, Jason, there is still so much more to discuss. Even in such a long episode, I know we're not going to get to everything, but we are going to move into our Raven rating and our MVB just for the finale. As we mentioned, we will get to season Raven ratings and most valuable bannermen in our bonus, as well as a lot of other material we haven't had time for, but we are going to close out with a final closer look. So one last time, the Ravens have flown and the ratings are in. (laughs) What do you give season eight, episode six? I'm so back and forth. Just like I said in the top of this podcast, looking at it as just one episode, knowing how impossible this must have been for the Double Ds. The first half of the episode being amazing. Second half leaving me with some questions, but closing it up enough that left me satisfied. I think I'm going to try to do right by Game of Thrones and what it's given me these years and give the final episode a nine. I just wrote down my rating so that I couldn't be influenced. (laughs) I have to keep with my own logic here. I said I probably should have gone lower on the long night given my feelings. But I was up to an 8 for the last of the Starks and an 8.5 for the Bells. Trying to look at it only as an episode, I'm definitely lower than either of those two. I am going to go higher for the season, I believe, considering everything you said, the monumental task that was in front of them, the overall way that I feel reflectively when I look back on the whole season, a show that I've loved, a series that I've loved so immensely. But I did have some disappointments. I expected it in the finale. It could never live up to what I'd hoped for. I had a lot of questions, but it wasn't bad. I'm going to give it a 7.5 Ravens. You sure? I mean, they didn't kill Drogon. He's alive. (laughs) That at least gives you a couple points. It it bumped them up, that's for (laughs) sure. It's hard because, as I said, the first half of the episode, I'd probably give it a 9.5, whereas I'm more like a 6 on the second half of the episode. So I have to balance that out and see how I feel overall. And as we move into the Clatcher segment of this podcast, we wanted to thank all of you one last time, at least during the normal episode podcasts, for going on this ride with us. 
It's been an amazing journey. Those of you who were with us from the beginning when we really didn't know what we were doing. <laughs> those who joined this year, thank you so much. It's all reflected in our last MVB poll because we broke all numbers we've ever had for a poll. There's currently 1,240 votes in. And there's two hours left in this poll. It's amazing. So Clatchers, if you really enjoy what we're doing, go to coffeeclatchcrew.com and check out all of our other channels. We're doing Westworld, Mr. Robot, The Magicians. Although it's not playing anymore, it's still one of the best TV shows ever, Sherlock. And about to head into our new adventure, Big Little Lies. And if that's not enough and you want to help Christine and myself out, take a gander at our Patreon page where, depending on your tier, for the price of one Daenerys coffee cup... Not Starbucks. <laughs> and not coffee, it's actually tea. But for the price of one of those, you can help Christine and myself out tremendously to continue doing this, continue going on this ride with all of you. And get more content each month. There is a tier for everyone. $1 will get you access to the community chat boards and a discount on our Clatcher gear. $3 will get you a coffee break episode each month. It's very interactive. We play games. Jason and I normally do very poorly. You participate. We have a word of the month, a fun fact of the month, and we go over briefly some of the other things we're watching. The $5 tier gets you that plus a bonus episode. We try to think of themes for topics, everything from the brain and natural health to mythical creatures. <laughs> There's also interactive segments on that one. Most recently, Jason challenged me to a spelling bee. That's a real hoot if you want to take a listen. It was so much fun. I had a little twist on the end for her. Of course you did. And finally, the $10 tier gets you everything we just mentioned, plus a movie review cast each month. Typically, we go see a new movie at the theaters. This month, it will be the 2019 remake of Aladdin. The Clatchers vote in. We put up a poll for three movies, sometimes a fun throwback. We do cover the Harry Potter series. And then based on your results, we go see the movie and do in-depth research. We have segments just like we do here on the free cast, and we break down behind-the-scenes stuff, all of the characters. We have a great time. So depending on your tier, you can have up to three and a half days worth of content from Christina and myself, more than enough to keep you busy. As well as every month during the Coffee Break episode, we choose our raffle winners. Two every month. One drawing for all the new Clatchers for that month and one drawing for everyone else. So you always have a chance to win free CKC gear. If you want to see everything about the Coffee Clatch crew, stay tuned in to what's happening. See countdowns for our newest episode. Check out our gear and our Patreon page. Just head over to coffeeclatchcrew.com. You can find everything you need. And now onto our favorite part of the episode where you vote for your most valuable bannerman. As always, we gave you four choices. This week, it was John, Tyrion, Bran, and Sansa. Man, particularly hard in a finale, right? I wanted to put a poll for all of the characters. But coming in fourth place with 7% was Bran. I have to feel like maybe the Clatchers feel a little bit of the same way we do. Um, kind of, I don't even want to say bad about this, because I do think it was a good decision. It just left me feeling less of anything than I expected to, you know? Yeah, again, we don't know enough about this new brand, about the Three-Eyed Raven brand. I know so little that I don't know if I trust him. It's basically the same way I feel about Sansa. They had done such a great job getting into their character arcs, their emotional journeys, their struggles up until a certain season. And then I felt a little detached from both of them and what they were going through. So it's really hard to try to come back around and close that out quickly. But it did seem like he was slightly more connected with the world and reality by the end here. Maybe he's getting a better he's adjusting. grasp on things. Remember, he was given the quickest of lessons that was ended prematurely. Yeah, can you imagine just 
being thrown those powers uh-huh. to you and trying to figure it out. Third place with 15%. And again, there's two hours left in this poll, so it might change. Mm-hmm. 15% Sansa. I think this is due to how much she, quote unquote, controlled the room with all these powerful people and liberated the North. I got to say, though, my favorite part from her is when she just shut down Edmure Tully. <laughs> as bad as I feel for him. Take a seat. We all wanted to tell him that, right? Take a seat. Coming in second place. With 35% is my man, John. He did a lot in this episode. He went against what the bones in his body were telling him to do and took out Danny. I think uh, if it wasn't John, everyone would have been upset. If Arya did it or anybody else, Tyrion, we would have felt let down. It had to be him. And it made sense in a way that maybe some other things didn't make sense for me. As sad as I am for him and I don't want to see Danny go and the consequences he has to accept with that later, he's lost both of the women he loved and was a part in both of their downfall. And now he has to leave his family yet again and everything he cares about here. But we did get the moment we hoped we would for him to step up. And then in the end, we got the moment of maybe him finding peace. But coming in first place with 43% is Tyrion. I wholeheartedly agree and will just say right now, he is also my MVB for the episode. For me as well. If Tyrion didn't talk to Jon one last time, and remind John who he's fighting for, and that's his family, this would be a different story. If Tyrion didn't speak to the consul, even in his lowest of low moments, and speak the truth, I don't think Grey Worm would have left so peacefully, and the Starks would have all parted and had their own life. And all these people he's gathered in from the whole realm agreeing on something. He has created a new system and begrudgingly accepted to now sit and rule that system as the hand. Arguably, he had more influence than anybody, certainly this episode, but looking at the season, he's definitely going to be a top contender for me for MVB. All right, so what we have left is the comments on Twitter and Facebook, the emails and the voicemails. We're going to try to get through as much as possible. There's 71 comments right now on Twitter. So if we miss you, just know that we read it and we appreciate it. Oren opens it up saying, finally, at least for this season, Tyrion did something that wasn't stupid. He pushed Jon to do the right thing and nominated Bran the Broken as king. Melly says first half of the episode was amazing with Drogon, but then it fell flat and I didn't care for the characters anymore. Tyrion moved the story the most with his speech that ended up winning the unofficial throne. He's the one making all the important decisions. Also, how were they able to rebuild the wall that quickly? (laughs) How were they able to rebuild King's Landing or at least parts of it? I mean, the council chamber looked fine. The White Tower is fine. Bran is ensconced there as the king. Well, um... They, they've had double time. We didn't see the... cleanup crew. Yeah. We didn't see the castle. It's probably still in ruins. But as far as the wall is concerned, and we had a lot of Clatchers ask about that, the Ice Dragon just tore down one part of the wall. This wall is giant. And it was at Eastwatch, not here at Castle Black. Exactly. So that's really far away. Mm-hmm. And that's why you don't see that hole. Correct. And how can Drogon know the meaning of the Iron Throne and decide to burn it, she asks. This takes us to a message we got from Melanie, and I'll read this here. She says, initial reactions to the finale, I expected more. I thought it was pretty rushed, as the whole season was, but left me satisfied. In the end, the Starks prevailed over evil. Each ended up where they wanted to be. I was happy to see Tyrion continue serving in the end and carry on the Lannister name. This he can do in a positive way. Bran on the throne, I didn't expect it, but it made sense after all. I would hope he'll become a little less creepy in his reign as king. (laughs) What the hell was Bran doing there? He's just a pest. Agreed. Agreed. The price we paid for such a peaceful resolution was Jon Snow. 
We always wanted to root for him, and after all his bravery and heroism over the years, he gets sent to the Night's Watch. He can never marry or have children. I can only find solace in this, believing now that he is free and can live his life on his own terms. Question. Why do you think Drogon burned the throne instead of Jon? A. It couldn't burn because Jon was a Targaryen. B. The dragon blamed the throne for Danny's death more than it blamed Jon. Or C. It was Drogon saying that since Danny couldn't have the throne, Jon couldn't have it either. Okay, so A. Jon couldn't burn because he's a Targaryen. Now, we had a lot of Clatchers ask us the same question on Twitter. So I'm just going to do an overall. And we, we already mentioned it, actually. Just because you're a Targaryen and just because you can ride a dragon doesn't mean that you can't burn. Yes, and a lot of people will point to John being burned by the flame when he was protecting Lord Commander Mormont from that white that attacked, but that wasn't dragon fire. The whole thing about Targaryens is is it dragon fire? Now Danny is special because it's not just dragon fire, it's any, any fire. fire, but they have specifically stated that's only her. So I don't think it's that he couldn't burn because of that, though I would put the caveat, the connection to Drogon, him recognizing him as a Targaryen probably had a deal to do with him not pointing the flame at him. Absolutely. And I think in addition to that, knowing how much his mother loved him, mm-hmm. he definitely felt that in his mother as well. And maybe can intuit that John's not a bad person. Yeah. It does help that Drogon wasn't there while he did it. I think if he came at her with a knife while Drogon was standing there, he would destroy him to prevent the fight. Yeah. But this already happened. Yeah. And he comes after. I think that also weighs in on his decision. Now, B and C could be true. Like we were saying, we don't know the limits to this magic, how smart a dragon can be. I wouldn't put it past them. If it were, I think that's open to interpretation. I'm going B because I love dragons and they're smart. Look, our little bird who has the brain of a number two pencil eraser is super smart. Yes. And has us trained, as a matter of fact. That is true. Point of fact. Drogon has the brain of a house. Mm-hmm. That's my story. And I'm in, in to that it. event, I would go with C. He just somehow intuits this place is bad. Everything that's in here right now needs to go. Needs to go in flames and then I'm getting the F out. So overall, Melanie said she would give the entire series an A. We'll read that again in the bonus. It's very important for her. She says, quote, I began watching Game of Thrones while I was waiting on test results for cancer. It gave me something to think about during that difficult time. I stayed with it as I went through treatments for a year. Game of Thrones was a blessing. I'd give season eight a C minus. It gave us an ending that was really hurried and I felt missed a lot of potential opportunity. I gave the finale a B for reasons mentioned above. No one in my family watches Game of Thrones, so I look forward to sharing my thoughts and to the podcast. Thank you, Melanie. And th- th- this is something that I said, I think, probably the first podcast we ever did. Christina and myself, we celebrate books, movies, TV shows, escapism. Everyone's life has a lot of hard parts in it, a lot of heartbreaks, a lot of loss. These types of movies, these shows, give us the escape that we sometimes need. And then, with the podcast, we can relive that escape with all of our Clatcher friends. Yeah, and it brings us all together in this way. Along those lines, we got a really touching email from Josh. And while he didn't ask for this, he asked for much less. I'm going to do it anyway. I want to dedicate this entire episode to his father, Glenn Maul Jr. from Lancaster, Pennsylvania, who just recently passed away. Josh said of his father, he was an amazing father who loved my brother Alex and I and then his dogs nearly as much. Over the last two years, he's had a bunch of time off work because of surgeries and kept running out of things to watch. 
He'd always ask my advice, but it was hard because we had different tastes. I never recommended Game of Thrones because I thought he'd hate it. He wasn't big on fantasy shows or anything he thought was unrealistic. We worked together, and one day he came in and was all excited talking about how much he loved Game of Thrones. I couldn't believe it. It just wasn't something I ever pictured him getting into. It became a routine. Every day he'd come over to my area and ask me my thoughts and predictions, or share articles and videos he'd found online. Before the last season started, I recommended your podcast. I told him you were the best TV review podcast I'd come across, and I listened to you guys cover a few different shows. He immediately became a fan and one of your newest clatchers, although he could never pronounce that name correctly. (laughs) He loved Christina's insights and commented on, on how smart you are. Oh, thank you. And could always identify with Jason and how animated you could get from the show just sucking you into their world, as well as your love of the dragons. Me and my father were also huge fans of Tormund and repeated his funniest lines. Unfortunately, he passed away just a few hours before the finale, so he'll never get to finish it. I'd like to think whatever happens after you pass away, you gain a kind of knowledge and understanding of everything. So maybe he does know what happens. I thought it would be nice if you could give him a mention to honor him and send him off to whatever comes next. Thank you so much, Josh. And I think, um, and to talk about escapism, this podcast, I think, saved me emotionally last year, almost to the date. So maybe a little over a year ago, my father passed away of cancer at the age of 65. So very close. So we feel what you're going through right now. And just remember, it's going to take some time, but you'll find your way out of it. And I do believe that they have a knowledge once they're up there that we don't understand yet. And he probably knows the ending of it. And he also probably knows George R. R. Martin's ending. <laughs> Much more than we do. Well, your words are just so beautiful. It's the entire reason, everything that's important to us of why we want to do this podcast. So we really wanted to make sure that we honored both you and your father. Thank you for being a part of this. Continuing along with MVB, Sherry says, although we don't have much to judge the intelligence of dragons, I could take a leap of faith and accept Drogon was an intelligent and loyal creature. Thank you, Sherry. There you go. One for Drogon. Brian S. says, voted Sansa. She essentially was able to get what she wanted, whereas everyone else didn't. Also, I may be one of the few, but I didn't think this episode and season was that great. Lost final season and episode was better, and Lost ending was pretty controversial. That's impossible for me to comment on because I've never seen Lost. Me neither, unfortunately. I wanted to get into that. It sounds, from everything I've heard, like something we would like. Lewis writes, I dug it. Bran being the king was a shock, but if you look back at how far he's come, I think it makes sense. If only I could trust that little fuck. (laughs) He didn't write that. That it was, was me. All meant that was to me. happen, Jason. <laughs> Key to jail. So I guess the Starks played the game better than anyone. Best part of the finale was Tyrion once again saving his hide with his own words. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, totally. Even when faced with what seems to be the end, he's always thinking, scheming, being clever. He's my MVB. Not the first time we saw him in chains talking for his life, right? Just Call Me Sanchez says, I'm going with John. He had to kill his love to save the people, then take one for the team being sent north for the crime of saving the realm. Not thrilled with how it turned out, but based on what we watch, it had to be John. Sassatek writes, hands down Tyrion for being the best always and cheating death by using powerful words. Hashtag sticks and stones. <laughs> <laughs> Nick Wow says, torn between Tyrion for knowing exactly how to repair the six or seven kingdoms and John for using his brain instead of his heart to do what's right. Ultimately pick John, though, because he did finally do what must be done. Tell Ghost he's a goodest boy and give him the pats he deserved. 
<laughs> Jason, this is a real win for you between Drogon and Ghost. No They're wonder you're high on this episode. That's what's up. Zombie Man, Sam for pitching democracy. <laughs> Question marks? <laughs> Claudio says, my vote is definitely for Tyrion, both from an emotional perspective and for moving the story forward. He crafted his words wisely to Jon, which ultimately started the snowball that led to Danny's death and so on. He'll also be pivotal to the writing of the future of Westeros. Mara writes, write in for Drogon, who has lost his entire family. Watching him try to wake Danny up was the most heartful, wrenching part of the episode. I agree with that. Yeah. He also destroyed the Iron Throne, which was the cause of much war and bloodshed. Agreed. Yeah. (laughs) I. Yes. (laughs) Elliot Todd says, Tyrion was essential sitting on the throne now. I'd imagine he would create some kind of alliance with Sansa in the north. Maybe another marriage? I don't think she's into it. She's off on her own thing. I don't think any man's going to be good enough for her. No. Ah, Elliot's finally saying what I said. I have this feeling that Bran would outlive most people since he's also the three-eyed raven. There you go. Thank you. Nobody remembers. That's probably why he's smiling. He's like, you guys don't know shit. (laughs) You just picked me for hundreds of years. I'm going to be alive forever. (laughs) A lot of nothing gave another vote for Drogon. I wish we could have put him there. Yeah, and Zombie Man, another write-in for him, takes an animal to know how silly the pursuit of an inanimate object was to begin with. Raul, also for Drogon. Brian T., strong reasons for all these choices. Tyrion, for his choice of the wisest king. Bran, for accepting and bringing peace to the realm. Sansa, for keeping the North for the North. And Jon, for stopping a greater threat to the world than the Night King, knowing it would cost him all. Christine agreeing, saying it could have been either of those, but Tyrion wins this week for me. He uses his words, his mind, to restore peace and to save his skin one last time. (laughs) Mosey Loyola and Barb and Tom starting off the ideas we want to talk about, maybe for the bonus. Mosey says, I think they did a good job with the ending of the show, but I still have an idea on how they could expand on a standalone series on all four characters. It would be kind of cool to see what happens with Jon Snow when he goes beyond that black gate. Does he find Drogon? Barb saying, and what would Arya find at the end of her journey? If R.R. Martin collaborates with the writers of the screen version, they could develop lots of prequels and sequels as series or film trilogies. Yeah, well, I mean, these aren't going to be the same showrunners for the prequel, but I kind of think that's good because David and Dan were done after this. Yeah. Triple D's. David and Dan are done. <laughs> Sorry. Give somebody who's got a fresh take on this. Uh, the prequel could be really exciting, and we don't know what the topic's going to be about that yet, but I'm all in. Especially knowing that George R. R. Martin's behind it. The spinoff with all four characters, that would be amazing, but I don't think they can get these guys. They're so big now. Yeah, there's not going to be any sequel type stuff. As of now. Yeah, but who maybe. knows, like 10 years down the line when people are back to clamoring for DOT? You could play Arya. You're tiny. <laughs> I love it. Brian with another vote for Drogon. Starting to feel like we messed up. (laughs) And so many other great write-ins. Thank you guys all so much. We've read them all. And we hope that you continue to go on this ride with us in these next following weeks and with our next shows. Before this episode, we got great emails from Eric and Philip on their takes for the bells. Ben was hoping to see the Iron Throne destroyed in the final episode. So you got that. (laughs) Dane said, not an episode goes by that I don't think of Alaria Sand sitting in the dungeon, watching her daughter's corpse decompose in front of her. When Danny was torching the Red Keep, I had to wonder whether anyone told Alaria what was happening. And you brought her up a lot last season, and then we kind of just accepted that we thought she died back then. Yeah. But yeah, one of those 
kind of dangling threads that we don't get resolution on. Michelle said Jamie pushing Bran out the window was the Lannisters pushing the next true king away from the throne all the way back then. Todd said, since Jason and I seem to be on the same page about the devastating loss of Rhaegal, I'll be interested to know how he felt about this last episode. We were both dreading what seemed to be the inevitable death of Drogon, but in a way this was almost worse. Watching him grieve over the loss of his mother was truly heartbreaking. That said, I'm not sure how I feel having no closure on whatever became of him. I think maybe we just always want to hope for the best. Yeah. Like he's taking he's his mother to a place to put her to rest in Valyria where he can live without all of this. Maybe have some babies. Maybe there's an egg down there. There would have to be another dragon down there. But yeah, if there's an egg hanging well, out. Yeah. I mean, Danny had eggs chilling, right? So if there's eggs hidden somewhere, it would be there. Absolutely. Mallory said, overall, I am happy with the finale. Most of our favorite characters achieved what they've wanted from the beginning. Sansa is a queen, John a man of the watch, Arya an adventurer, and Danny broke the wheel. A strong and satisfying ending for the show. And we got a whole lot of voicemails. We're going to try to get through all of them. Hey, y'all. Andrew, North Carolina again. The episode literally just ended, so again, it's a uh, quick reaction. I really think I'm going to be in the minority here, but man, I, I, I like a happy ending. I really do. And it, it, it wasn't the greatest ending in the world. Still don't understand why John finished back in the Night Watch, but whatever. So there, there were a few things I just want to touch on. I'm sure, again, y'all were going to do this in the podcast, but I saw one of the greatest quotes on Our Free Folk um, Reddit. said, uh, they can't screw up the writing if there is no dialogue. Because <laughs> that first part of the entire episode was all stares. I mean, oh, my gosh. There wasn't any talking. Uh, I, I thought the way John killed Danny was fantastic. The screams of Drogon, like, mm. oh man, that was, that hurt my heart, man. Like, poor Drogon. I hope my dog does that when she dies or when I die. Cause that would, I don't even want to think about that. I don't think about that. Um, I literally laughed out loud, uh, with the sword smack on the tent. I, I needed that break from the dread and gloom and like, oh dear God, this is heavy. So it was great to have some light. And I literally, I was cracking up the entire time on that. The other question I had about John going to the Night's Watch, why is the Night's Watch still there? Yeah. They got the dude. So why is he there? Another thing, I was watching a video on YouTube about, uh, or it's Emergency Awesome. I know you, you guys actually turned me on to that channel, mm-hmm. but he, he's, he was hoping to have the payoff of Arya as well. And, and I was so happy they did it. She's not going back. She's going to west of Westeros. So that was quite exciting. They gave Podrick some love with Sir Podrick. How about that? <laughs> Big dog. Uh, Bran can, can warg into uh, a Drogon, apparently, or nearby or something. Um, I'm, I'm guessing Drogon flew off to Valyrian, yeah. maybe. Uh, uh, what, do, what do you guys think? Um, of course, Sam was going to be the great grandmaster, maester, excuse me. And, yeah. and of course, Tormund. I got so excited that I saw Tormund. And then I got even more excited because we got Ghost back. <laughs> you know, the, the last thing that just kind of irked me on this entire episode, like I said, everything was really, I was happy with the ending or I was, I was, I'm, I'm okay with the ending. Uh, but those men in the north, and that's what, the third time? Now they're saying the queen in the north. They've had two kings in the north, and now the queen in the north. If I was one of them, I'm thinking to myself, oh, my God, this again? <laughs> oh, my goodness. Oh, my God, I agree. There's so much there. Um, 
Well, well, he agreed with most of what we've been saying. Yeah, and hopefully we broke down that last scene with John. I, I do think it's a little open to interpretation. If you want to say he's just bringing them out there and he's going to go back to the wall and keep his commitment, I can see that. I would love to believe he's going with them to be a free man of the wildlings. I could see that too, but I like that, leaving it open enough that you can kind of decide where it goes. Absolutely. So thank you again, Andrew. You've become a staple of this podcast. Absolutely. Hi, guys. My name is Bobby. Um, God, I just finished watching the last episode. <laughs> I can't even form words right now. <laughs> um, but a uh, long-time listener. I've listened to you guys for the past two years. Big fan of the Westworld podcast, too. Really excited for that to come back. But holy shit, this episode, you guys. Honestly, <laughs> I was very nervous that they weren't going to tie up everything in a satisfying way. But honestly, I'm kind of okay with the way everything ended. I just... Oh, man, I am so, oh, just have no words. There are so many things I wanted to say, and now they're escaping my mind. Everything was so great. Drogon burning down the Iron Throne. It's literally a great picture of breaking the wheel, so to speak. John finally petting ghosts. I was, I think I was screaming when I saw him finally pet ghosts. I was like, yes, this is, this is exactly what we needed. Oh, man. And did anyone did anyone catch that little blade of grass at the very end, yeah. right when John and all the wildlings walked past the wall? There was a second where they focus on a blade of grass, and I felt like that had to have been a call towards a, a dream, dream of spring, of spring, which I thought yeah. was yeah. brilliant. And Sansa being queen and Arya going west. Oh my gosh, I just <laughs> I can't even. Oh. I'm so excited to hear what you guys have to say about the final episode. I just want to say you guys are my favorite Game of Thrones yeah. podcast. Been listening for two years, and you guys are the most well thought and well put together podcast I've ever heard. You always have your facts, and just oh, I'm sorry. I'm so emotional. I'm rambling. <laughs> okay. Can't wait to hear the podcast on Tuesday. Love you guys. And this last round is on me. Oh, save that clip. Thank you for that. Um, I think everybody felt the same way at the end of the episode, right? Like, I I don't have any words. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, and she said she had so much to say and then couldn't once she was on the phone. Uh, That's how I feel sometimes with the mic. Once we press record, I'm like, uh, oh, I had so much to say. (laughs) But this is what I mean by escapism. Look how excited she is. I saved the text for me and my mother last night because I had the same feeling immediately following the episode. She texted me, did you like it? I said, um, wow, I don't know what I'm feeling. Less than I expected to, but I guess it was a good ending. I don't know. I have no words. What did you think? She said, me too. Some surprises for sure. Some questions, but I liked it. Just sad it's over. Yeah, g'day guys, it's Warren here from Sydney, Australia. I uh, just finished up watching the last episode and want to sum it up with one word. No! <laughs> oh my gosh, that was just hectic. Um, with what you guys are doing, can't wait to hear the um, Big Little Lies podcast coming soon. Thanks, see ya. Awesome, Australia. Yes, the listener coming to Big Little Lies. <laughs> Thanks for calling, man. Hi, this is Elsie from New Jersey. I'm calling about the Game of Thrones finale. Oh my goodness, it was crazy. And I have to say, I didn't hate it. But I also was just expecting a little bit more of something. I couldn't quite (laughs) pinpoint it. And then I heard someone say this, and I felt like it really described what I felt like was missing. 
And that was the feeling that we had after we found out about Hodor. It was just mind-blowing, crazy, The like, oh my gosh, this just changed everything. And I guess after so many twists that we got with Game of Thrones, I was expecting a little bit more of a, oh my gosh, that was insane, and this feeling of being swept off my feet, I guess. And I don't know why I expected that because of the way the season has been going. But uh, I, I did like it. It was satisfying. They did wrap up the main things. They certainly left a lot of little ends out there. But overall, I thought that it wasn't as bad as it could have been. So that's my take. She feels us too. Like, I liked it. I liked it. I, I, everybody something. has the same responses, I feel like, that it was a sizzle instead of a bang. It was yeah. like, I, I guess it was it was good. Right? It was good. But then we're like, uh, is that how we're supposed to feel after the series finale of Game of Thrones? And I think that's what I meant by playing it a little safe on the way they chose to wrap it up. Possibly, yeah. Not that I can blame the double Ds for that, but I totally agree with your thoughts, Elsie, and thank you for calling in. You know, Game of Thrones every season, the bang is the penultimate episode. The penultimate, episode. yep. Then we have an episode similar to this that brings us excitement for the next season. I think that's what we're missing, and that's why we all feel lost. There is no next season. Well, then you, for one last time, save the sizzle and give it a bang on the last episode. You got to be bold. And I can totally understand the fear of wanting to do that and just tie it up nicely. And maybe the majority of fans looking back will be thankful for that when we retrospectively think about it later. Ask me again in 10 years. Exactly. Thank you, everyone who wrote in, voted, called in. We love you all. For our last segment, I'm going to give you one more closer look into the White Book. The White Book, formerly called the Book of the Brothers, records the deeds of every member who has served in the 300-year history of the Kingsguard. In the novels, this book is two feet tall, a foot and a half wide, and a thousand pages thick. Jeez. It's kept in the common room in the White Sword Tower where meetings are held, and it is the responsibility of the current Lord Commander of the Kingsguard to update the entries. Each member has one page to record his deeds and exploits. In the top left-hand corner are his personal arms. In the bottom right-hand, the arms of the Kingsguard. So very much like the Night's Watch, you give up all of that personal history when you join. They record, you know, say you were a Lannister beforehand, but now you're just a member of the Kingsguard. Or at least that's how it's supposed to be. But didn't Brienne give Jamie two pages? Absolutely. Now, I don't know if it works the same way in TV world, but they did show us the preceding two pages were Sir Arthur Dane and Sir Barristan Selmy, and they each had one page. So perhaps this is Brienne just saying, ah, Jamie gets a few. <laughs> Before her, we saw Jamie realizing that Sir Barristan Selmy took the time to update his own book before he fled King's Landing. That's how committed he was to this. Jamie then awkwardly updated his own entry. We see where he leaves off, and it's very abrupt. In fact, in the episode Two Swords, Joffrey mocks Jamie for not having any great deeds in there. In Jamie's own thoughts, he thinks, I'll hack the bloody book to pieces before I fill it with lies. Yet, if he would not lie, what could he write but the truth? And Barristan Selmy thought he had often glanced through the pages of the White Book, where the deeds of his predecessors had been recorded. Some had been heroes, some weaklings, knaves, or cravens. Most were only men, quicker and stronger than many, more skilled with sword and shield, but still prey to pride, ambition, lust, love, anger, jealousy, greed for gold, hunger for power, and all the other failings that afflicted lesser mortals. 
The best of them overcame their flaws, did their duty, and died with swords in their hand. The worst, the worst were the ones who played the Game of Thrones. Ooh. Smart man, that Barristan Selmy. Another great closer look. Thank you for that, Christina, because I don't know these things either, so it really helps me. Another quick shout out to all of our Clatchers who left reviews, and this is up to last Sunday, so yesterday. Sick DT on our main channel, Call Dave, Roy Stalin, Alley of House Fields, Dean Fogg, brought over by... Dean Fogg. Yeah, brought over from <laughs> the magicians. Ava Z8, Heather in CLE, and Monty992. Thank you, man. And thank you to everybody. Amy P, thank you so much for donating. We tried to email you because whenever anyone donates, we try to email to say a big thank you, but we kept getting an email kickback with an error message. So I'm saying it here. Thank Thanks you very much. Thanks on air. Thank you to everyone who joined us on this crazy ride for the final season of Game of Thrones. It has been wonderful. I know we've had our ups and downs, our positives and negatives right through to the finale, but hopefully we offered some balanced insight you were part of this discussion. Your thoughts were critical. We really loved having the opportunity to break it all down. And thankfully, as we said, it doesn't have to be over yet because next week we'll cover the documentary and the following week we'll have our bonus. So make sure that if you need some more closure, you stay tuned for those two. Till next week. And this last round is on me. Oh my God, it's so hot. Jesus Christ, we did it. This round is on me. Please hang up and try again.